Thank you all for once again joining us on UCLA Radio Podcast. I'm Ani, and this week I'm really excited to have a guest on. It's UCLA alum Gabe Bassain. He is the executive podcast producer of the right of the right time with Bomani Jones, which is on ESPN podcast. Um, and not only is he UCLA alum, but he's also an alum of Daily UCLA Daily Bruin and by extension UCLA Radio. Gabe, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem, dude. Happy to do it. Yeah, so like I had mentioned, um, you know, you're a UCLA alum, and at you know during your time here, you worked at the Daily Bruin, and you also told me you hosted a show called Out of Bounds, which played on UCLA radio. I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit more about your path, um, you know, coming from UCLA and now becoming the uh, producer of The Right Time. Yeah, sure. So I, I was a producer on Out of Bounds. I ran the board. A couple of my colleagues at Daily Bruin Sports at the time, they were the ones who were the hosts of the show. So I was a radio reporter at the Daily Bruin. Um, I was a transfer student, so I was there only for my last two years of school. And while I was at the Daily Bruin, at the same time, I was doing some internships. So I did an internship at 710 ESPN downtown LA. And then I also did an internship at what was then Fox Sports, um, which is over in Sherman Oaks. Um, I'm not sure like if it's the same thing now or whatever it is, but it worked out well for me because... I was trying to quickly figure out what I wanted to do and acquire as many skills as I could. So while I was at UCLA, I was getting, you know, all the good skills that you learn at at the Daily Bruin, you know, storytelling, writing, editing, all those sorts of things, you know, basic block and tackle stuff um, from a, you know, radio production standpoint or just from a reporting standpoint, Um, you know, in editing, I learned you know the software the the programs that you need to know um in radio i learned those through my internships so that was really helpful um and then connections that i made at my internships that's what led to me working um at espn you know as as a larger company as a you know first job out of school um i moved over here to connecticut right out of school um my wife got into the uh, PhD program uh, for UConn for philosophy. So that's that kind of is what led to me coming out here um, because I didn't have a job right right away. So I had to come out here, kind of work my contacts. So it's you know really important while you're in school to be able to make as many outside contacts as you can in the professional world um, because when you graduate, you need to be looking for that next thing. So I was fortunate enough to be able to make good, make some good contacts, worked them. People that, you know, I began to know pretty well, got into ESPN, took a job as a part-time radio production assistant, um, which is basically like, you know, you're running the board for overnight programming, that sort of thing. You're cutting highlights. Um, I enjoyed it. um, But at the end of the day, I felt like I wanted to gravitate more towards podcasting. So that's what I did. I switched over to the podcasting team, which is kind of in the same you know realm as radio around here. I was also a part-timer because full-time positions are really hard to come by in this business. Um, was working on a couple of different podcasts. Uh, was also doing stuff around managing the website and scheduling our radio stream, 
which I enjoyed. My hours were a little bit better, which is something that I liked as well. Um, but after doing it for a couple of years, I was just looking for, you know, something that was full time. I didn't want to leave what I was doing because I really enjoyed it. Um, but it, it's something, you know, it's a decision that everybody in this business has to face at some point or every journalist or, you know, when you get into the working world, yet you're faced with is you need full time because you need to be able to pay the bills, all that sort of stuff, be able to pay down your student loans, you know, save money. So um, there was an opportunity that opened up on the TV show First Take, um, that which was a kind of internal move for me, just moving across from digital audio over into TV. Um, you know, I, I had made some good contacts within the company as I was kind of making my way up through radio. So I was able to move over there, which was really helpful for my career in terms of being able to make myself as well-rounded as possible. I had all of the kind of like radio, basic radio, uh, you know, kind of production skills, knowing how to run a board, you know, knowing how to produce a show, those things that kind of evolved from what I learned in school and in my internships. But now I needed to be able to kind of learn some new skills. So by switching over to TV, I learned how to shoot video, how to edit video. You know, um, I was working with social producers. I was working with TV producers, which was totally different from what I was doing. So I was forced to, you know, kind of trial by fire, learn a lot of new skills. But it was super helpful for me overall because then, you know, following kind of the early kind of betting in period into that job, it, I was left with this huge wide variety of skills, kind of, you know, being able to become just a content creator in the end and not necessarily be tied down to one medium specifically. Um, but it seemed like as soon as I was kind of like getting my feet wet over there, there was an opening that opened up back on the digital audio team for a full-time podcast producer. And as I mentioned before, I, I never really wanted to leave um, the podcast side of things. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I just wanted to be full-time. And so I came back um, after just a short short while being over on the TV side. Um, and it was a great decision for me because it was something that, I again, I really enjoyed doing. And I just kind of jumped right back into it. There wasn't necessarily like a time period of me having to learn anything new. I was going right back into basically doing what I was doing before, but just with a little bit kind of a more expanded role. I mean, I, I was given kind of the assignment after having been back for a little bit of time, I was given the assignment of working with Bomani. So that's kind of like where the time in my current role begins. Um, but I'd say, you know, a portion of my role is I produce the right time with Bomani Jones and kind of the rest of my role, the other like 60 to 70% of it is all operations based kind of working on our, with content management and getting help, getting shows off the ground and managing what we have going on existing. Um, and just kind of, you know, being a Swiss army knife for the team overall. That's awesome. I think one thing that kind of stood out to me that you highlighted is you took something from every position that you had, you know, whether it was in radio, in TV, small stuff you did at UCLA or podcast producing. And that that's really cool that, you know, the minor things you do eventually will build up and, you know, kind of help you where you currently are. So going back to UCLA, was there, you know, a particular story or maybe just general skills you picked up at the Daily Bruin that kind of stuck out, stick out to you now? Um, you know, you're like, maybe the story that I covered back then 
really gave me like all these skills that I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. I I would say I just having no journalism experience whatsoever when I started with the Bruin, it was really important for me just to learn how to report and learn how to edit. And those are things that no matter what you do, if you like continue on with journalism, those are things that are going to be super valuable, valuable for you throughout your whole career. Like learning how to just edit, how to edit things down and like start with a rough draft or start with, you know, a piece of tape and to be able to cut all the junk out of it and just be left with like what you want for your story. That was something that's what I felt like was most valuable for my experience. And it just being able to like pitch stuff and know, Hey, what's a good pitch? What's not a good pitch. Like we had, you know, when I first started at the Bruin, we had these sessions with a woman named Nina Gregory who works at NPR in LA. And she kind of taught us how to like make pitches. What's a good pitch. What's not a good pitch. You know, the, the people that I worked with kind of on the radio side, audio side, they're the ones who taught me how to edit. It's all super, super valuable. Um, I did a couple of stories um, for the Bruin early on. One was about, there was an ad that I can remember, there was a lockout going on in the NBA. And so some of the players at the time who had just entered the draft um, from UCLA, they were they had entered the draft and there was no league for them to go play into. So uh, they were, got kind of caught in this weird spot and I got to interview, you know, a couple of players, but then head coach Ben, who was Ben Howland at the time. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was just a great experience for me because like I was finally getting to interview these subjects who I was interested in before more as a fan. And I got the opportunity to actually like try and formulate that idea and be able to take it from just a thought in my head all the way to something that ended up on the site, you know? No, yeah, that, that, that sounds, um, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, just like getting, I think one thing that college radio, college writing and stuff like that gets you into is just, you're kind of given free reign. It's not too impactful if you mess up or, you know, if you're learning on the fly, but it helps you develop your own personal skills, find your own voice, stuff like that. And you know, I think a lot of people who do college radio and college reporting, they want to like continue being reporters or they want to be like on-air personalities. Um, and I was wondering if, you know, you had a similar sentiment in college where you were like, I want to do reporting um, or did you always want to do like more of the production end of stuff? And what do you find compelling about like being specifically a podcast producer? Sure. Yeah. So I, early on, I like wanted to be a host. I wanted to like have my own show or like be a radio reporter and be out there like, you know, interviewing people and then coming back to my place and like cutting the tracks, you know, just like I did um, at the Bruin. And it was, it's really hard, you know, it's really hard and you have to be able to have the confidence to do it. You have to have the voice to do it. Um, uh, all those things. It, it was harder than I realized. And I didn't necessarily feel like I was cut out for it. And I kind of felt like maybe I was more cut out for a little bit more behind the scenes work. Like we were talking about out of bounds earlier. Like I, it worked out well for me that there were two guys that I knew, Sam Strong and Tyler Drohan, who I still know to this day, because they actually worked at ESPN. Um, 
they were already the hosts of that show. So there was no room for an additional host. So I was like, oh, well, I'll run the board. You know, I'll run the board for it, contribute segment ideas, that sort of stuff. And it kind of just set the, set the tone for the rest of my career where when you're an intern at one of these radio stations, they're not interning you for on-air work. They're interning you to be a producer. You know, you start there and you kind of like work your way towards it. I think like at the end of the day, like you could take a left turn. It's a lot easier now to like host your own podcast on the side while you're, you know, learning all of these skills. But it, it just wasn't available at that time for me. Um, I don't even remember if we podcasted out of bounds at the time. I certainly didn't upload it, you know, um, and, and to that end, like at ESPN, like I never wanted to be the on-air guy. I never did. And so like some of the podcasts that I produced earlier on, like even when I was a part-timer, I'd have to say things, you know, I think the first podcast that I produced was fantasy focused baseball. And I had to, you know, talk on it from time to time to like ask questions or set up things. And I was so shaky, you know, not that I'm like any necessarily better now, um, but certainly I have a little bit more practice with it because um, working with Bomani, the way that the, the podcast is set up is he's always asking me questions. I'm always setting up topics, things like that for him. So I have a lot more practice on it now and I have maybe a little bit more confident in my own self now, but that's not something I ever wanted to do. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, as a, from a producer, I don't know if it's always the best thing. If you're, if you're on air and trying to be the producer at the same time, it can be kind of difficult. Um, but it certainly makes your show, you know, interesting when you have like a little bit more of a community like that. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I think you probably brought up a good point, like where it's probably more feasible now. Um, and there are also like radio shows, for example, the Levitard show where Mike Ryan, who is executive producer, they play more of a communal role, right? Where like all of them are into it and he hosts a podcast on the side and stuff. So, you know, it, it, you have more opportunity now, but um, I think it's really cool how you gave that background of, you know, there are like positives to maybe sitting back a little bit and doing some of the work that people might not think about. Um, but like you had said, you, you know, work with Bomani who has like a huge following and he has like a particular style that he has like, developed over a decade of doing like radio and TV starting from, I think, you know, Charlotte or North Carolina and, you know, doing highly questionable and stuff for someone who's been like in the industry so long. And now you work with him. Have you seen anything specific about like the way he thinks about the stuff he's going to talk about or his workflow? Like what have you learned from him in terms of producing content? Yeah. I mean, I would say he's just such a unique individual such a unique character with such a unique skill set. Um, there's not really many people like him out there. He knows what he wants to talk about, knows what he thinks will resonate with fans, not just like a fans of a particular fan base, but like all fan bases, you know, people around the country, all different types of people. He just intuitively knows. And that's part of, you know, his career, like you said, coming from where he was, you know, initially when he started his background. I mean, he has his master's. He's a very like smart, smart, smart guy. So he just, you know, working with him, I just let him do his thing. You know, I, I let him do his thing and I, I try and contribute wherever I can to help him 
just further and elevate his points. Um, but he doesn't really need me to do that, you know? So if anything, I've learned more just about just general analysis of sports and news in general from working with him and from listening to him, you know, being as the producer every week um, that I wouldn't necessarily have seen myself. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, like you had brought up, it's kind of an interesting dynamic uh, where Bomani is like such a strong personality. People listen to him for the sake of, you know, they've been listening for like a long time. They know what to expect. They know his like, uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he's like a very pessimistic Texas football fan and like all of his intricacies and stuff like that. So that is, I was wondering if that was something that you had to pick up on like as you go um, and how your relationship with him has like kind of developed over the couple of years that you've been the producer, especially given that the previous producer, Shannon Penn, he had like a, an existing chemistry with and how you kind of developed that chemistry over time with him. Yeah. Yeah. So it was difficult for me initially um, to kind of like pick up from where Shannon left off um, specifically with Bomani and, and that his radio show and the relationship that they had back and forth, you know, it's a different show than it was when it was on the radio show. But initially for me, it's like you said, I didn't know Bomani at all. Um, when I started producing his podcast. So I live up in Connecticut, right? I live in New Haven and Bomani lives down in the city where he does, does the show, TV shows, all that sort of stuff. So I spent a little bit of time initially just going down to the city and doing this show with him because you can't, you can't really, there isn't anything better than that kind of face-to-face -face contact in terms of being able to like get a workflow with somebody, being able to, you know, get a feel for who they are, understand them, all their different little, you know, personality traits, quirks, all those sorts of things that you need to be able to really, you know, have a, good working relationship with someone. So I would say that was really helpful for me. Um, but really things have kind of taken off within the last year, just because we've been home, you know, so instead of me being up in Connecticut doing the podcast and Bomani being down in the city, which is, you know, for those of you who are based on the West Coast and don't kind of can't contextualize how far that is, it's still about like three hours in between Connecticut, where we're at, and, and the city. So it's kind of a bit of a hike. You can't just do, you know, go down there twice a week for a show necessarily, like, and make that be sustainable. So once the kind of the pandemic hit, and we started doing shows from home, then I could see Bomani on, you know, on my computer as I was taping the podcast, whereas before I was in the studio, and he was in the studio. So I couldn't see him because we were doing it, you know, just strictly audio. So I get to see him, you know, every time we do the show and I'm watching him and he's watching me throughout the whole thing, you know, now. So our, you know, it's not like we had like any sort of relationship before that wasn't good or it wasn't like a productive working relationship. But ever since we started to be able to see each other, it just makes things so much easier. You know, all of the different like nonverbal cues that you can make and you just feel like you get to know somebody by being able to look at them, you know, like you and I right now, it's much different than if we were just talking on the phone. And so I feel like that's like, I feel like I'm good friends with Bomani now. Not that I didn't feel like I was good friends with him before, but I feel like, man, you know, I know him 
And also too, I've been producing his podcast for like three years now. So at this point, I've like heard him do the podcast. I've heard him talk about his fandom. I've heard him talk about his family, all these sorts of things to the point where I feel like I really know him now. And those are all things like when you're producing a show or when you're interviewing a subject or whatever, it's important to be able to see that person visually. And even if it, you know, is unfortunate, you know, because of the pandemic right now that people can't be doing things in person, this is like the next best thing. Not that it's like going to replace it, you know, by any means, because there's always going to be a space for like in-person interviews. And that's always going to be the very best that you can get. But this is pretty close, you know, being able to see you, we have compared to where things were even five years ago, like great internet connection, good sounding audio, you know, like low latency. So like, there's not much of a delay. Like it's pretty good. It's as good as it's ever been. No, I think you raise a pretty good point. And hopefully like, you know, once things transition more back, back into the work, people can still hold on to like how the, some of the positives they took from this, like whether they're able to, they find an improvement in the way they run podcasts or run TV shows or whatever. Um, And yeah, I think more generally, I wanted to know, given your previous experience, like working in radio and television and now in podcasts, is there like a noticeable difference in the kinds of content that you find are more um, attractive for an audience to listen to in a podcast version compared to like sports talk uh, radio or TV, especially given you're working on first take and, you know, while First Take and Bomani's podcast are like on the same network, they kind of have very different styles. And I was wondering if that's something that you think works well because of it's in a podcast or is that just uh, by the nature of the personalities on the show? Yeah, I mean, I think different mediums are different, right? Like TV's one, TV's one thing in terms of the type of content that gets surfaced there. Radio's another thing. Podcasting's another thing. They're all different types of content, different mediums that have their own positives and negatives, you know, and you can't necessarily, um, I wouldn't necessarily say every, you know, to each his own, everybody has their, their favorites and things that they like. Me personally, I'm a podcast guy, so I'm always going to have, you know, preference for, for podcasts as a medium and in terms of what I like to consume, but all, yeah, totally different. I mean, producing different producing radio is different than producing tv producing podcasts they're all totally different yeah and i I think we've been talking a lot about the right time and and your experience with that but like you said you have like you know 60 to 70 percent of your job consists of something else i was wondering if you could talk maybe more about um what are the challenges with like you know like you said starting up new podcasts and like how do you help navigate people who are uh, working in that space or, you know, and the other content management portions of your job. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get too much into the specifics of all the other things that I do. Um, but I would say it's just kind of being like a support for people and really just be like a people connector. Like I, the experience that I have is pretty unique because I, like, I just got my MBA. So I have a little bit of a business background but then I'm also a creator as well and producer as I produce the podcast. And so I can kind of, you know, play a role in our team, on our department, where I can facilitate between the people who are on the business side and the people who are more on the content side. And there are so many different 
things, you know, that go on in, in the podcast business um, that, you know, it, someone like that is, is very uh, vital to making things as smooth as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I probably can't get into anything more specific than that, but other than, than just saying I'm kind of a connector for, for people. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's totally cool. And I mean, um, one thing is like when you, when you are in the sports field, I think a lot of people are gravitated to it because of fandom and, you know, they, they start by seeing these, these, these like childhood heroes, like childhood basketball player, or even, you know, seeing on-air personalities who you've seen for a while. Like, I know for me, like I've seen Pablo Torre or La Bomani starting on around the horn since I was like 11 or 12 years old. And now this is somebody who you would work with like on a daily basis. Was there like ever a moment for you where you're like, you know, whether you're talking to them for your job or you're, you know, setting up an interview or something where you're like, wow, I'm really talking to this person. I remember like idolizing them or like really thinking highly of them before. Yeah. I mean, that starts at day one, um, really, when you work at a place like ESPN, because it's, it's it's kind of like a college campus. I mean, it's that it's that big. And there are that many people walking around. I think you just learn very early on in your place of employment, you know, wherever that may be. Um, you learn that kind of everybody's just a person, you know, and you need to treat them as such, especially if you're going to go into journalism and things like that. You're going to need to treat your subjects and the people that you're working with like talent. You're going to just need to treat them like like another person. Otherwise, like they'll sense it, you know, they'll sense that you're treating them different. And then that can be a little weird, I would imagine. But certainly, you know, when I started, it was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, all these people are like really famous and that sort of thing. But uh, I quickly learned it's kind of like, no, Gabe, you just got to keep that to yourself. And you've got to be a professional, you know, because all these people are just people at the end of the day. And, you know, they'll be your friends, too. So. I think to wrap up, you know, kind of the section talking about more of your uh, your professional life, I just wanted to know if you had any advice that you you could provide to college students or just people who are entering the industry on how they can find a niche, how they can grow. And, you know, like you said, which is such a crowded field, um, sports, especially now, because anyone can host a podcast if they want. It doesn't take much. You can buy a $100 mic and, you know, put it on SoundCloud or whatever. So like, what have you seen as someone who's kind of been in the space for like a, around a decade? Yeah. Um, I would say as far as advice goes, like one thing that people always told me when I was like doing my internships was it's really hard to get into the industry. It's really, really hard. You know, there are not many full-time jobs. You should probably choose something else to do. Um, and I'd say, you know, at the end of the day, it's like pretty cliche, but just do what you're passionate about, you know, and not everybody is like as fortunate or privileged, you know, as I've been able to be where it's like, I went from school and internships just into the job world, you know, I was able to find something that I enjoyed. Um, obviously, that's not going to work out for everybody, which sucks. But it, I would say it's more open than it's than it was when I graduated. Um, like you said, it's super, podcasting is super democratic. Like you just buy like a cheap mic and you can, you know, pick up editing skills and kind of work your way from there. But like, 
I would say, you know, utilize school for what you can and, and radio and the paper and all those sorts of multi multimedia things that you can do to be able to learn just like the very, very basic level skills that are going to stick with you for the rest of your career. I mean, so many of the different things that I learned how to do later on at ESPN, like on the video side or what have you, those are things that would have been great to learn at ESPN. I mean, um, to learn at the Daily Bruin. And if I had spent some time with the video team, I probably could have. So it's just kind of like trying to make sure that you graduate with as wide of a skill set as you can. Be comfortable talking on video. Be comfortable talking on the air when you're getting recorded, you know. Be comfortable editing audio. Be comfortable editing video. Be comfortable running a board, you know, like what you guys, you know, learn at, at UCLA radio, that's super valuable for anyone who wants to go into audio production, because just because it's a podcast doesn't mean it doesn't get recorded with a board, right? You know, uh, just make yourself as like, you know, well-rounded and as wide a variety of skills as you possibly can. And then when it's getting time to be able to apply for jobs, like they're going to look at that and say like, wow, this person can bring a lot to our team. So that that's what I'd say for anyone, you know, checking this out, who's, you know, currently a college student or is going to be a college student or is a college student already and is going to be graduating soon. Awesome. Uh, so now I guess we'll transition to talk a little bit more about um, your own personal fandom. Uh, like you said, you were a Daily Bruin, um, you know, someone on Daily Bruin who worked on sports. Um, do you remember that like a favorite sports moment from your time at UCLA, uh, maybe like a football game or, you know, any sort of college basketball run or anything like that? Yeah, um, I would say both like football and basketball weren't very good. They, they The teams weren't very good, you know, when I was a student there. Um, like we had, if I remember correctly, because this was a long time ago, you know, this is like seven years, seven years ago. So we had Jonathan Franklin, um, we had Jim Mora, we had Brett Hundley. Um, I'd say probably the best moment was probably like with Brett when we beat SC. And I think we beat SC one year and we lost to SC the other year when I was a student. Um, and from a basketball standpoint, I think when I was a senior, Lonzo was, we were either recruiting, no. We had some, there was another like recruiting class that was like um, Shabazz Muhammad, Kyle Anderson, Jordan Adams. And they were like super hyped. Like everybody was like super psyched about them. And then the team didn't end up doing so well. So that wasn't like a super big highlight, you know, for me, obviously. Um, but I, certainly the football games, the Rose Bowl were fun. It's good that you got to see an S, uh, a UCLA win over SC during your time because those are those are like once in four years. Um, I don't know yeah. if you're still. I don't know if you still keep up with UCLA sports, but we had a pretty fun game this year. Uh, do Do you actually watch still watch UCLA sports, or is it they, they haven't gotten much much more competitive from your time? I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like being a like a working professional, I don't have quite as many quite as much time to stay up late for those Pac-12 after dark games, you know, which you're acutely aware of. So I don't watch like, and also I've kind of like gravitated a little bit away from football and more towards soccer. 
So like my fandom is loosely based now around like soccer and basketball with a little bit of football. So I'll like stay in tuned as far as like how UCLA is doing in football and basketball, but I probably pay more attention, slightly more attention to basketball, but mo- mostly now more professional sports. Um, if I think UCLA this year, their basketball team is pretty solid. Watched most of their games and they lost their best player to an ACL tear, which really sucks, especially given the climate around college sports this year. Um, but if you're into it, I think we'll make the tournament and maybe you can watch a game or two of, uh, of UCLA basketball. Like you said, you're more of a soccer fan now. I think um, I just wanted to know how you became a fan of Chelsea football, uh, Chelsea football club. Yeah, yeah. So I've been a Chelsea fan since probably the mid-2000s when it was kind of like Lampard, Trogba, Mourinho, that whole kind of era um, of really just elite, elite uh, football coming from Chelsea at the time. They were at the top of the English game, really. Um, and Drogba was my favorite player. He was the kind of, like, I, I feel like every American or like most Americans like find their way to professional soccer, to like European soccer through FIFA. So for me, it's like I grew up playing like youth and like rec soccer and then you start playing FIFA and then you start to learn the game, learn the global game, learn who all the teams are, all the players are, that sort of thing through the game. So like I started playing FIFA probably around like the early 2000s with like, you know, when Thierry Henry was with Arsenal and the Invincibles and all that sort of stuff. But I more graduated, gravitated towards Chelsea and tor- yeah, because of Drogba really, he was my favorite player. I mean, uh, Drogba is a great player. I, 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 like you said, I learned about him through FIFA mostly, especially playing with the Ivory Coast teams because those teams are very pacey. And if anyone knows, anyone plays FIFA, you know, pace is the most important thing. As long as you can run past your defender, uh, you'll you'll play pretty well. Um, uh, but you know, Lampard was another player on the team. He's now the Chelsea Chelsea manager. And he had a pretty solid start last year, especially given that they didn't really have any transfers. It was kind of a weird Chelsea situation where they sold Hazard and then they didn't really bring anyone in. Uh, Pulisic came in, but he didn't play too much. And they played more of uh, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount, like academy players. So over the summer, you acquire Havertz, you acquire Werner. The expectations are much higher, especially given the fact that Lampard reaches the FA Cup final and he you know, qualifies for Champions League. And the expectations right now haven't really been met. The team has kind of fallen off performance-wise. Um, and Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea, is pretty much well-known for having a very short leash. So do you personally think uh, Lampard will should stay? And, like, what have you seen from his tactics? And then, you know, what do you think Abramovich is going to do, given, you know, his, his storied history of firing managers very quickly? Yeah, I mean, I try to be quite measured with my opinion about Chelsea just because I know that I don't know better than the journalists and the analysts that that cover the game, especially in the UK. So I try to stay in tune with their opinions as much as I can while watching and, you know, being able to understand what I can about the game. Um, But certainly last year with Lampard, it was quite quite an exciting team. there was a lot of, you know, um, excitement in the fan base about getting in a former 
players, the manager. I never really had a problem with Sarri as the manager for Chelsea. I was quite actually optimistic about things could go with him. But as you know, as you mentioned with Abramovich, like everything at Chelsea is so political and is about getting along with you know, the directors, uh, with the board, with the owner, with the academy, it's kind of like you're really, you really have to be more of like a, a manager and like a personality than an actual like tactician. It's almost like the tactician comes second and the personality kind of comes first. So I would say my favorite manager actually for Chelsea was Conte, but he was like the opposite of being a politician. So he didn't end well at all. Uh, and this year with Lampard, the team is a little bit less exciting maybe than it was last season. I think kind of that new car kind of like shininess has, has worn off a little bit. I would say, though, at the at the start of the season when we had like mo- a mostly fit team, we were, you know, Chelsea, and I say we, but Chelsea, you know, was playing really well. Like some of the statistics offensively were at the top of the league. Um, and then really when we lost Ziek to injury, then things kind of started to go downhill from there. But it also showed maybe a little bit where Lampard is a little bit limited as a tactician, because if you're so dependent on one player for the success of your team, then it's kind of like, well, what are you doing? You know, anyone can get injured at any time. So it certainly was a little bit alarming for me to see that, like everything was so heavily reliant on Ziyech. But really things have been just, doesn't seem like a lot of things have gone right, you know, for us. It's like Werner's, um, his form kind of hit a downturn. Pulisic's been in and out of the lineup, did injury. Hudson Adoy the same. Ziek the same. And then Kai Havertz got COVID. So it's like all of our kind of attacking creative talent has been in and out of the lineup. So you can't really blame Lampard, but also at the same time, it's like the season's starting to slip away from us now. So going into the second half of the year, like if things don't turn around, like he will get sacked. It's not a matter of whether or not people like him personally or anything like that, like results matter at Chelsea. So that's it. Yeah, I think I think you pretty much spelled it out. Um, there, it's it's not like he's not getting any more bonus points for really being a hometown hero. Abramovich uh, doesn't really care too much about that kind of stuff, especially you know, like you said, it's a deviation from him being hired in the first place, given his relative lack of experience. Um, but yeah, I mean. Do you have any expectations for the rest of rest of season? Uh, like, what what do you think would be a successful second half of the season in terms of Champions League? You know, realistic also because I don't think people are saying Chelsea's going to win the Champions League or anything. But uh, you know, in terms of Champions League and the the Premier League and uh, the FA Cup. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that what a lot of people have been giving Lampard a hard time about is not necessarily being able to find the best formation for the team that like gets the best out of everybody. But also like the people talk a lot about the plan B, like there's no plan B necessarily right now for Chelsea. So that the kind of limitate, it could be that Lampard is, and you know, who knows, but it kind of could be that Lampard is showing a little bit of his limitations as a manager now with not really being a super great tactician and being more of a politician. Um, So it's either way in the next few games, we're really going to find out if we lose at all in these next couple of games, he's gone. I think pretty much that's just going to happen. But if somehow we can get top four, then I think he'll stay. 
I just don't think it's very likely, especially when you have like a story coming out in the athletic a couple of weeks ago, right after a game that was kind of like, Oh, Lampard's position is in question. Like once a story comes out like that, it's kind of hard to find a road back. So, I mean, I, I think a positive feeling, there's a difference between what I think will happen and what I hope will happen. I just kind of hope that we can get to the end of the season and have some, some positivity and, get in the top four, possibly win the FA Cup or something like that. But I do, am st- I am starting to see kind of the limitations from Lampard as a manager that people seem to be talking about. So I wouldn't be, pre- I wouldn't be against replacing him with someone who is more of a tactician, um, someone like Thomas, Thomas Tuchel or, you know, Julian Nagelsmann. I wouldn't be opposed to that. It's just hard to do those sorts of things in the middle of the season. But at the same time, like if the season's slipping away, then you kind of have to make a change, right? Um, so I, I don't think, I mean, Atletico, uh, they're the, like one of the most informed teams in Europe right now. So I don't necessarily see us getting past them. It'd be a, a little bit of a disappointment, but I think when you come up against a strong team like that, then it's kind of a toss up. I mean, it, it's similar, like last year, you run into Bayern in the, in the round of 16. They just happened to be the best team in Europe and kind of worked out that way. So, you know, Atletico's probably not in, in the same vein, but they've always had success in the Champions League and Simeone knows how to kind of run those tactics. I mean, it'll be interesting, right? Because Arteta and Solskjaer also always have those rumors swirling around and they've managed to see at least Solskjaer more, more successfully, but he's weathered the storm. And we'll see with Arteta, it's, better, it's been better for Arsenal lately. Uh, before you go, I just wanted to know, you know, you said you're a big podcast guy. I was wondering if there are any, you know, other podcasts that you personally enjoy listening to, whether, you know, sports or non-sports. Yeah, um, I, I really like some of the podcasts from The Athletic uh, about that are soccer specific, like the Chelsea podcast that they do straight out of Cobham. That's a good show. Um, it has like some of the, you know, best Chelsea writers out there. Um, the quality of it is good and it's just, you know, super, super niche content, like exactly what I as a Chelsea fan want. Um, the Totally Football Show also with James Richardson's a really good soccer podcast. And since for me, it's like I only since I work in podcasting, I only have like a finite amount of time to listen to podcasts. Um, so I would say like those two for sure um, are podcasts that I personally enjoy listening just as purely from personal like enjoyment, not any, anything necessarily that like, oh, I want to check this out because I want to try something out with the right time or I want to check this out so I can recommend this or give somebody notes or something like that. Like just straight up, I just enjoy those shows. So, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan or if you like soccer, like those are good shows for to check out. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, Gabe. And, um, you know, for everyone who wants to check out some of Gabe's work, uh, you can listen to The Right Time with Bomani Jones on ESPN Podcast. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy, happy to come on.